Welcome to this special episode of Eye on the Illini. We're going to do a little bit of a deep dive by taking some material from our radio shows in regards to the lawsuits that are circling the NCAA and some of the things we see happening around the athletes and what will they be doing? Will they be employees? How will some of these lawsuits be resolved? And what that could mean for college athletics going forward. So we're going to start off, we're going to have a interview that we did, Larry, Brad, and myself, with Steve Berkowitz of USA Today. He's going to go through uh, the NLRB decision and talk a little bit about the Dartmouth case and what that could mean. Then we're going to have an interview with Tony Altimore that we did as well. And these interviews will both be on this week's Big Sports Radio and Illini Guys Sports Spectacular and our other Sports Spectacular podcasts. And we will talk a little bit about, with Tony, uh, what's going on in these same situations. And then after that, Tony dropped by for a few more minutes and wants to go in a little more detail. And we we caught a few other uh, things that we didn't have a chance to talk about during the radio interviews. So we hope you enjoy this. We're going to start off with Steve Berkowitz, then go into Tony. Uh, those two, like I said, will be with Larry, Brad, and myself. And then Tony and I will finish up the podcast. We hope you enjoy this. It's a little bit different than just straight up Illini stuff. But this is what is affecting college athletics and will shape the future for us as fans as we consume college football, basketball, and the rest of the sports. Well, one of the big stories, uh, so many big stories really off the playing field, if you will, this week. Um, some great reporting on what's going on at Dartmouth in terms of uh, the National Labor Relations Board um, and them actually being called athletes. I don't want to mess this up, so I'm bringing the experts. Uh, the guy who wrote the piece, uh, Steve Berkowitz, he's a reporter for USA Today. We are thrilled to have him on here for some explanation. Uh, Steve, welcome to the show. Hopefully I got that little small part right. Either way, Correct me and tell us what's going on. This is really big. Sure. Um, what's what's happening here is that a regional director of the National Labor Relations Board uh, has made a finding that uh, the men's basketball players at Dartmouth College are school employees, and she has ordered a union vote. So a vote on whether or not among the players, whether or not to form a union. Um, and so that's the basic crux of what's gone on here. This is really similar to what went on uh, roughly 10 years ago with the Northwestern football team. Uh, there was a similar circumstance. Uh, a similar complaint was filed. Similar hearings were held and a similar finding was made uh, by the regional director uh, you know, in the Chicago area at that time. Um, and so what ended up happening in the Northwestern case, a vote was taken of the players but the results of that vote were never made known because Northwestern exercised its right to request a review of the regional director's decision by the full five-member National Labor Relations Board in Washington. And what ended up happening was the NLRB full board uh, made sort of like, it was kind of a technical decision, but they determined that they didn't have jurisdiction uh, in the matter because the way 
uh, the National Labor Relations Act is set up, it applies to private employers, or in this instance, a private school. And because the National Labor Relations Act charges the NLRB with maintaining sort of order within a, an employment uh, or an industry, they found that if they if they had acted and you know went through and approved the regional director's finding and put all that in play with Northwestern, that that would have created sort of a chaotic environment in major college football because you would have a circumstance where it's not applicable to public schools. Um, so what's going on here, Dartmouth presumably will ask the NLRB to review the case, which, so there'll be a vote, but we won't know the outcome of it. And in the meantime, this appeal will go on to the NLRB, which will take quite a while. The, it, I believe it was almost a year and a half, uh, wow. in the Northwestern case before the NLRB ruled. And even if the NLRB backs the regional director's decision, Dartmouth would have the option to then appeal that ruling into, into a federal appeals court. And federal appellate courts take a significant amount of time to make decisions. So, you know, unless Dartmouth comes to an agreement with the players in some other form or fashion, uh, this is going to spool out potentially for several years. Wow. So it, it joins the chaos that we see going on across across college sports right now. Is it fair to say that the NCAA seems to be going to court, fighting yesterday's battles today and setting themselves up for losses? Because even this latest round with Tennessee, it, it just, it seems, I, I don't know how they enforce anything anymore. Well, I mean, first of all, you got to keep in mind, the NCAA isn't going to court. The NCAA right. is getting sued. Right, exactly. Um, so it's not like they're being given a choice in the matter. Um, and yeah, I mean, they're, I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, for the most part, they're defending these cases. Now they, you know, reached a sort of a, a temporary settlement in one of the lawsuits that uh, came up around the transfer restrictions, forcing athletes to have to go through a waiver process if they want to transfer more than once. And so the NCAA sort of backed off on that. But yeah, I mean, in many, you know, most of these instances, they're, yeah, I mean, they're attempting to defend their, their rule structure. Um, I mean, and they're embroiled in yet another, in another NLRB complaint, which is going before an administrative law judge in uh, Los Angeles. And that case involves uh, football players, men's and women's basketball players at University of Southern California. And that complaint has been lodged against, uh, USC, the Pac-12, and the NCAA. And that case differs from the Dartmouth case in that uh, generally, like remember when I said that the NL, the National Labor Relations Act deals with private employers. What the uh, NLRB local office in LA is attempting to do is pursue what's called a joint employer complaint and making the saying that the players are jointly employed by the university by the Pac-12 and by the NCAA. And because the NCAA is this big national organization, if they if the uh, administrative law judge buys that argument, that notion of joint employer status in this case sort of gets you around this being limited to private entities. And so a, 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 an adverse ruling for the NCAA in that case 
potentially sets up the prospect of labor organization in public schools, you know, and then you run into some conflicts with state laws that don't allow public employees to be unionized. But it 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 more it definitely expands the field of what you're looking at here beyond what's going on with Dartmouth. And there are some ways that Dartmouth, the Dartmouth case could could spread. And we can talk about that if you'd like. Yeah. Talking with Steve Berkowitz of USA Today again about this uh, big decision uh, a few days ago with the uh, Dartmouth basketball players. Uh, let's try to get down the line just a little bit. Um, and I guess here's a big question. It, it feels like with all the changes and we're talking about it's 2024 and, and of course the Big Ten and SEC are expanding. The ACC also adding teams, but they don't have the big money contract. The other two conferences do. Um, it feels like this is, even though we're not there yet, and like you said, it's going to be years down the line before this is resolved, but we are heading in that direction where student athletes, we may look up in six, seven, eight years, and they're considered employees of these universities, kind of, or, or there's some kind of salary cap, as Rick Patino talked about this week, or there's it, it, it feels like this is another small step in that in that direction, even though we have a long way to go. Agreed. No, I mean, there's, there's no question. And sort of what that ends up looking like, you know, remains to be seen. I mean, Charlie Baker has, uh, the NCAA's president, Charlie Baker, has been asking Congress to pass a law that would sort of create this sort of special kind of employment, quote unquote, employment status for uh, college athletes so that they're not declared employees of the schools in the traditional sense of employment uh, for a whole variety of, of reasons that get pretty far flung pretty quickly. Um, but the NCAA and the schools are desperately trying to avoid a circumstance where athletes are declared to be employees uh, of the schools. And, you know, how this will manifest itself in terms of the compensation that athletes are able to get, uh, even beyond what they're getting from NIL. I mean, the way Charlie Baker's propo latest proposal uh, to address this, looks at it as it's sort of bringing all the name, image, and likeness stuff in-house with the schools. The schools would be able to make NIL deals with the athletes. There really wouldn't be any limit on the amount of money that athletes could get, and it would be a much more deregulated uh, environment relative to the NCAA rulebook. Mm. What that, again, what that looks like over time, I mean, you know, that's anyone's guess. And it may also end up having to do with how the schools are aligned with each other, whether or not you have like a super conference or a rearranging of what, you know, the current conference and, you know, what is currently known as the power four or power five structure looks like. When you when you take a look at this, there's a there's a lot of directions. What do you see the pathway being if you had to to try to predict the future, understanding that that, you know, there's some X factors, but do you see a more likely path for this to head down? Um, I, I'm not sure what path it will head down or how it will get there, but it seems pretty clear that over time, and I'm not sure whether that time frame is a year, two years, five years, and whether it's going to go through, you know, is it going to go through the courts? Is it going to go through the National Labor Relations Board? Is it going to go through Congress? What the, the way you're going to get there but I mean, the, the, you know, there, there's clearly going to be a circumstance where athletes are going to be able to get greater and greater uh, compensation. And the, the question is whether or not ultimately you end up either with a revenue, sh essentially revenue sharing between the schools and the athletes, particularly in men's basketball and football, and to some extent in women's basketball and potentially other revenue generating sports. They may not operate at surplus, 
but you know, baseball generates revenue. Um, they're not, they may be at the schools may be operating the sport at a loss, but they're bringing in money. So, you know, there, you know, they're, I think you're going to end up it, it's in some form or fashion, whether it's through collective bargaining, through some other form of, uh, of, of revenue sharing or compensating of the players, that that's going to continue to expand. You know, another possibility in this, I can see where and we're already seeing where there's this partnership, this alliance uh, advisory panel combined with the presidents and count, uh, chancellors and athletic directors from the Big Ten and the SEC. I, I can also see where this goes down. I think you would agree where they decide not to mess with the NCAA and they go off and do their own thing and set their own rules. Depending on how this comes down, they've got smart lawyers. They may figure out a way to kind of do their own organization. And you look up and we've got two super conferences of, of 20, 24 teams each. Um, and they've become just a, you know, a Saturday version on football wise anyway of the NFL with salary caps, et cetera, where they're kind of making their own rules, depending on how this plays out. Sure. I mean, that, that's, yeah, that, that's, that's definitely a possibility. And then it becomes like in terms of whether or not that occurs sort of under the broader umbrella of the NCAA or not, you know, is a, is a whole other question. I mean, don't forget right now, I mean, the one thing that's sort of tethering together what is currently division one sports is the basketball tournament. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, if there were a group of conferences that decided they wanted to go their own way, okay, are you, you know, are they prepared to be the ones that blow up the basketball tournament as you know it? Yeah. And, and which, you know, Jim Delaney kind of hinted at that 10, 12 years ago, you know, when he was talking about setting up the big 10 network, but is there any advantage to the schools trying to take the football program and make it separate from the rest of the athletic department? I, I I was just wondering if, you know, you've got, you it affects so many things in terms of Title IX with the number of scholarships required. And of course, obviously those players will be higher compensated than than other ones. Is there, is there have there been any, any talk of having them be, kind of affiliations with the universities, but not an actual part of that athletic department? I, if, I think if you go down that road where you're sort of separating football from the rest of the athletics program and potentially for the, from the rest of the educational enterprise, that starts getting really complicated um, on, on a myriad levels. Um, whether or not there should be separate governance within sort of the traditional college structure whether there should be separate governance um, and sort of financing of football is, you know, that that's a little bit different question. But, you know, the title, you, you're still going to have to deal with Title IX. I don't I don't sense any appetite anywhere by anybody that would result in, OK, let's split football out of the consideration for Title IX. There's, you know, you that that would require uh, congressional action and that ain't happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we can't get regular bills. On, passed, on anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's a non-starter. Um, we've got about a minute left and, and so give me kind of, you know, to wrap this up um, because boy, we could, this is fascinating. We could talk about it for a long time. What's the next step in this? I mean, in terms of the next few months, what's, what's the next role that uh, the next piece that's going to happen in this process? Well, I mean, you've got a series of court cases that are rolling along here that are 
sort of the probably to be the next things to be decided. I mean, the Dartmouth thing has now been decided. It'll sort of be sort of put on hold for a while. You'll have what's going on in the in the L.A. version of the NLRB. There is a case pending before the Third Circuit, uh, the Third U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. That's also a labor case and involves the recognition of athletes uh, under the Fair Labor Standards Act, which would essentially make the athletes hourly wage earners. And um, that is the, the, the appellate court would be setting the stage for a trial at the lower court level. So I think that may be kind of the next shoe to drop. Uh, that decision has people have been that that case was sort of wrapped up about a year ago. Um, and so people have been waiting for an opinion from the Third Circuit. And then you have this this other uh, antitrust litigation pending in California, the House case. You have this multi-billion dollar damages award that's sitting out there that may go to trial late 2024, early 2025. But the the Third Circuit decision, whatever he refers to as the Johnson case, is I think because of the next thing that may drop out. Okay. Okay. Well, this is, uh, listen, we appreciate your time and thank you for, um, first, your, your great reporting and for giving us some clarity and for all of our listeners as well. This has been great stuff. We hope we get you to come back on again and talk more about this um, because this is something that we're just beginning to scratch the surface. As you well know, um, this ain't going anywhere. No, <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate you having me on and I'm delighted that you'd have me back because yeah, there'll be this, this isn't going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you can count on that. We'll be calling very soon. Steve, thanks so much. Steve Berkowitz, uh, once again, reporter for USA Today. Um, we Really, really good reporting on this. And again, as you can see, this is just kind of uh, one piece of this. It's been ongoing and there's much more to come. If you get a chance, if you're on X, give him a follow. Uh, by Berkowitz, B-Y Berkowitz is uh, his handle on X. We follow him. We think you should as well. Steve, again, thanks for your time. We'll talk with you soon. Hey, Thank Steve, you. Well, you got it. We've got lots more to come. Quick time out, and the conversation continues right here next. Let me tell you a story about Bill. Bill was a normal guy in his 50s. He had back surgery about two years ago. Bill was in a lot of pain. He dealt with his pain by taking the Percocets his doctor prescribed for him. Bill took more and more and more of them to help with the pain until one day the prescriptions weren't enough to get rid of Bill's pain. Then one day Bill found someone to help him get rid of the pain with illegal drugs he didn't need a prescription for. Fast forward to today, Bill lost his job and his family. The only thing he does have is his drug dealer. If you know Bill's story and you don't want to end up like Bill, call the Detox and Treatment Helpline right now to get away and get treatment. 800-980-1761. That's 800-980-1761. How would you like to get a free $100 prepaid MasterCard and save money on your television bill? Then call right now. Make the switch to Dish TV. For a limited time, we're offering a two-year price guarantee. That's important for those of you on a fixed budget to know your prices won't go up for two years. Plus, you have hundreds of channels, lots of live news and sports, movies, and more. And when you call right now, you can also ask about our discounts for seniors and those of you in the military. So, make the switch to DISH right now. Pick up the phone and call. Enjoy your television like you are meant to. And when you sign up today, we'll also give you a $100 free, prepaid MasterCard. Call right now, ask about our senior discount, our military discount, and your free $100 prepaid MasterCard. 800-706-7063 
That's 800-706-7063. Paid for by NPS. Switch to Dish TV today for your free prepaid MasterCard. Are you looking to grow your business? Do that with the Illini Guys Radio Network by advertising on the Illini Guys Sports Spectacular. The weekly two-hour syndicated show airs on more than 20 stations and is heard in six states throughout the Midwest, including Chicago, St. Louis, the Quad Cities, Peoria, Bloomington, Springfield, Champaign, Decatur, Rockford, and Quincy, just to name a few, with a reach of more than 11 million people. For information, send an email to mike at IlliniGuys.com and let's work together to grow your business. That's mike at I-L-L-I-N-I-G-U-Y-S.com and let the power and reach of the Illini Guys Network work for you. You're listening to the Big Sports Radio Network with Larry Smith. Mike Kegley and Brad Sturdy. Let's talk a little bit more here about uh, one of the many topics that we have been uh, getting into. Um, the Big Ten and the SEC putting together a um, advisory panel is what they're calling it. But clearly, as we talked about, um, this is a conversation been going on for a while with the presidents, chancellors, and athletic directors. Back on the show once again is Tony Altimore. He's a strategy consultant, um, big sports fan, uh, loves a Big Ten. Michigan State ties, good for him as well, loves USC as well, but he's a big college football guy. Hey, uh, Tony, great to have you on the show. Uh, let's great get, to be here. Yeah, good to have you. Let's dig right into this. First off, uh, this panel, um, we don't think they're trying to get together to maybe, I don't know, figure something out. I mean, I think we can kind of pretty much surmise there's a goal in mind or goals that they have by putting this all together. Yeah. I mean, and this, uh, I will, so, you know, this is just from what, what I can surmise. I think they've decided that the, you know, the NCAA strategy of let's just hope that the, that Congress bails us out. I mean, where the NCAA has been admitted openly admitting that they need con- congressional help because they've been openly breaking the law. Uh, I, I think that the, the big 10, the SEC have said, okay, we're done with this you know, hope for the best mentality. It's time for the grownups in the room to take over before the damage gets any worse. I mean, none of this would be happening if, you know, if they just let Jeremy Bloom have his modeling money and let Ed O'Bannon have a little bit of video game money, which was all, by the way, legal the entire time. So, I mean, you know, the lawyers will be in here and and can give you guys all the exact details. But in in general, the NCAA has been behaving like such an egregiously illegal cartel for so long, now it's come back to roost. And, and I think that the Big Ten and the SEC have said, we're done losing. We're done pretending that this model works. This doesn't work. We have, we're have we about to face a massive, potentially multi-billion dollar loss in the House case. Now, the House case is the case in California right now of athletes suing the conferences and the NCAA for NIL money that they illegally were not allowed to earn because the NCAA acted like an illegal cartel. They're going to lose that. They know they're going to lose that. First of all, their argument is so bad. Second, the Supreme Court has just dunked on it. Third, the judge, who is the senior judge of the Ninth Circuit, by the way, uh, is the same judge who destroyed the NCAA and O'Bannon. Like, Uh she knows their illegal cartel model. Like, this is, I mean, it's like a comedy. So they're going to have to settle that because if they don't settle that, they're going to have to pay, you know, like three or four billion dollars. So they, I'm sure they will settle it. And the big 10, the ICF said, we're sick of fighting these losing battles for your illegal cartel business model. 
Now, part of the problem is the Big Ten, the SEC, have a very different business model than all the other conferences and all the other divisions. And I think what you're really sort of seeing is just the grownups taking charge. So the the question I guess that we have at this point is you you see these things happening where the Big Ten is moving. Is this also maybe something to motivate the NCAA to try a new strategy for you know self preservation, if nothing else, maybe a rattling of the sabers to see if you can wake up the NCAA. You know, I would hope so. Um, it, it's hard to tell exactly. The NCAA can be pretty dense and, and, and clueless on this stuff. But I would think this is probably the final warning, right? Like, th- this is the final warning that says, if you don't get this together and solve the problems, then we're going to just take our ball and go home. And now it's going to be hard. Like, and, and people have talked, oh, they could just set up. Yeah, they could. They could set up a whole new NCAA tomorrow. The logistics of that, the strategy that. I'll tell you guys, I was around for the setting up of the Department of Homeland Security and the setting up of the Office of Director of National Intelligence. And those were aided with unlimited money and the benefits of national security. I can't even imagine what it would take with the speed of higher education to set up a new, you know, Big Ten SEC joint NCAA. It would be a night. It would take way longer than they have and way more money than they than they are willing to spend. So, you know, I think the question is, you know, it's a warning of the NCAA. We can do this if we need to. Please don't make us. And we'll find out. The, the NCAA has a wonderful way of batting a, a zero batting average. <laughs> they strike out well. Is there a, um, as you kind of look at this, is this, you know, obviously we, it's folk, the focus is all on football for the most part, but how does it, how do we, integrate all the other things in this in this uh, process? Well, there's some really interesting questions. So I'm actually working on a research project with somebody, uh, 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 Peyton Barris from Duke, who's a really fascinating guy, uh, where we're looking at what's another business model we could use for the Olympic sports. Um, I'm going to pick on my wonderful, beloved alma mater right now. USC is building a spectacular $30 million soccer and lacrosse stadium. Are we training the World Cup? No. We're not, you know, are we, I don't know what the lacrosse money is for. So, I mean, and I love lacrosse, I love soccer, but like that's $30 million that probably doesn't need to be spent. Uh, it's going to be great. I'm glad we have it. But in a world where we say we need money, <laughs> there's $30 million. Uh, we have stadiums and fields at USC. So, you know, when you think about the business model of some of these Olympic sports, the spending really starts to be a question. What are you doing? You know, if you're if you're spending a fortune on a swim team and you're not filling your team with Olympians, why are you running an Olympic style program? Like, what are the goals of athletics? You know, the goals of athletics are we want to you know teach our kids the values of you know hard work and fair play and competition. We we like what athletes bring leadership wise, things like that in the classroom. That's why we do this in those Olympic sports. And there's a lot of money being spent on them that I think may start to come into question. Talking here with Tony Altimore, once again, a strategy consultant. We're always thrilled to have him on and kind of break down some things. Um, we always like talking to people who who are smarter than us. Tony fits that category. Doesn't take much, right, for us. Um, but I win. Thank you, guys. There you go. Here's a question for you that and we've talked about quite a bit. I'm of the mind that I think that we are heading toward still, and Mike, I know, agrees, and Brad, too. Um, we're heading toward a world that in 10 years from now, 
there's only going to be, you know, 75, 80, um, you know, major teams in co- in college sports. And I think with, we're already seeing with the big 10, the sec, maybe not even that many, they may, we may wind up in a few years at the time of the next TV contract may come up to where we've got two 24 team super conferences and they become kind of a Saturday version of the NFL. I mean, in terms of you've got games all day long and you get to the playoffs and the college football playoff is simply the top four or top six teams from each one of those conferences, if you will, heading towards a collegiate Super Bowl, just like we see in the NFL. Talk, talk me out of that. You know, I don't know if I can talk you out of it because I think it may be sort of where we're going. But in some ways, it may sort of already be where we are as well. Yeah. You know, I mean, when, when you think about it uh, and you, you think about it and, you know, what the cutoff point is, is debatable. But uh, I'll be honest, and I, I'm going to say this because I love the Mac and I come from like Mac roots. My uncle won a national championship on the Eastern Michigan baseball team. Um, but I'll tell you that like the Mac is not competitive with the Big Ten. Yeah. Um, despite the fact that my dad's 19, that my dad's national championship reunion team for Michigan State lost to Central Michigan. Uh, <laughs> we got to see that in the stands one time. But you know, in general, the Mac is not competitive with the Big Ten. So there and financially, those programs are dumping money. And, and the amount of money that some of those programs are dumping is huge. Coastal Carolina. The subsidy at Coastal Carolina, the subsidy for the athletic department, not the budget, just the subsidy of the budget is $4,000 per student at a school that's 25% first generation kids. Yeah. So you're telling me that $4,000 per student is a good investment at Coastal Carolina? I mean, and there's some like marketing arguments, maybe, but I don't buy it. So I don't think that business model is sustainable. And so to some of these programs, if we can get them out of that, you know, out of that model, that helps. But there is a huge relevancy factor. And I'm going to pick on my other beloved alma mater, go Quakers. The University of Pennsylvania in the 1950s was a national powerhouse. Like they played Notre Dame. It would have been like the, you know, game of the year, huge thing. 85,000 people at Franklin Field. There were always 75,000 people at Franklin Field. Back when Penn State was a cow college with 20,000 people in the stands. When they, when they, the Ivy League sort of really did its thing, 1954, 1955, caused the, the, the pullback of relevancy of the Ivy League, and all of a sudden they lost relevance. 75,000 people, 30 years later, is 7,000 people. And so the risk to, you know, the Mac, the risk to the Sun Belt, the risk to uh, even the Mountain West, right, is are you going to lose such relevancy that you become effectively FCS? And that, that's a real risk. And it's a risk to the sport, because I'll tell you, the Northeast never recovered for college football from losing the Ivy League. Philadelphia, they don't I mean, they don't really root for Penn State. Right. Let's be honest. You know, New York, they don't really root for Rutgers. So Massachusetts, they don't root for you, Matt. They lost their teams. They lost Harvard. They lost Princeton. They lost Penn. They lost their teams. And I think one of the risks that we have, and maybe it's going to happen, is that regions of this country will lose relevance from their teams. Now, the other thing I think is very interesting, what it was announced today, um, that ESPN, Fox, and Warner Brothers Discovery are going to form a joint venture sports streaming service, which ironically brings the SEC and ESPN back under the fold with Fox and the Big Ten. How smart is Fox? They 
they they're going to get all the benefits without having to lose billions of dollars over the last few years. Exactly. These guys are so good. Does it also kind of highlight the fact that I think most people would say that the NIL model looks like it could be awfully shaky over time. It seems like maybe even the TV rights model that everything is built on now may not be quite as healthy as what we're thinking those contracts make you make you believe. You know, it's all a really good question. Uh, and part of the other question, you know, is how many nickel and diming, you know, such and such a network plus services are we going to have? So from Fox's standpoint, Fox has been very, very behind in the streaming game. Like they just haven't even played. So, I mean, and ESPN Plus is, is an, ESPN Plus is a really good service. So from Fox's standpoint, you know, these other networks, these other networks have lost billions of dollars on launching their streaming items. So Fox just kind of sat there and was like, hey, can we come play? And they were like, yeah, <laughs> all right. And so, I, you know, I, mean, I think what we may be seeing is, is like, again, the brilliance of Fox. But you're right that there, there's a real big question as we lose cord cutting is, you know, carriage fees and, and those things sort of plummet. The, the rights, the rights model is really in question. And one of the we need to think about the, the sustainability of the whole business model if, you know, if that starts to collapse a little bit. So there there are a lot of really big, big, big future questions. But I, w- I will tell you, you know, it's sort of like it, it it's a it's a lot more fun to be on the aircraft carrier of the Big Ten than the broken masted sailboat of some of these other conferences. <laughs> Indeed. That's- that, that is for sure. Uh, is there a, what do you see, like, when we start looking at this, we see the, like, the Dartmouth case with the NIL and the employees and the, how does that play into this, 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 uh, this animal that is the NCAA NIL program? So, uh, I, I mean, I think we were going to lose, we we're going to, one of the, first of all, one of the big issues with NIL right now is that the schools don't control it. Yeah. Right. Like that's like being a company and like some random other person is like paying your employees. Maybe, you know, if it's like Florida, like, oh, sorry, we ran out of money, Jade Rashada. Uh, I mean, so, you know, there's there's real serious issues. The smartest thing you can do is bring it in house. Right. Like the school should be in charge of this. The school should be controlling this. It should be school revenue, you know, school pay. However, it's done. The schools need to be in charge of it. So I think that's a really good thing. Uh, there's also another really good question about control. And that's what the Dartmouth thing was about. The Dartmouth thing was not about the money that comes in from Dartmouth, but about the control that the Dartmouth coaches have over those athletes. And so when they say, this is the time you eat, this is the time you go to work out, this is the time you do this. And if you don't, they're like, well, that you're an employee. <laughs> Somebody's telling you what you have to do all day long. Like that, that's an employee. And so one of the questions, one of the things we may start to see, particularly like we mentioned for those Olympic sports, is they may start to shift a little bit to be like, oh, okay, just go to the gym when you want to go to the gym. You do, they, they, they're going to have to back off or they're going to have to pay the kids. Yeah. Tony, it is um, always great to talk with you. Um, we could talk for hours, <laughs> but we will let you always go. Always fun. We appreciate your insights as always. And uh, again, please join us soon to help us uh, give us some clarity on some of this stuff. Sounds good. Uh, Tony Altamore, once again, he's a strategy consultant and a friend of the show. We're thankful for that to get his insights uh, on all of this stuff. Uh, We will be talking to him again soon. Stay with us. More to come after this. Everything is expensive right now. Gas, food, you name it. You're spending more. You are making the same or less money. 
So, what do you do? You rack up credit card debt. That's what you do. It's not your fault. It's the economy. And guess what? If you rack up too much credit card debt like some of us, you can't pay your bills. Then the credit card companies, as nice as they are, start hounding you for money. Then you start your downward spiral. A smart thing for you to do is to call the Zero Debt. They can help you consolidate all your credit card bills into one affordable payment. Millions of people have done it. It works to make you debt-free. Make this free call right now. It costs you nothing to learn more. 800-507-7293. 800-507-7293. That's 800-507-7293. Whether you live in Champaign or Chicago, halfway across the country or on the other side of the world, IlliniGuys.com keeps you in the know, be it in-game results, top-level stories, or the latest behind-the-scenes info in recruiting, IlliniGuys.com has you covered. For about 25 cents a day, you can have an inside path to your favorite Illini teams, and we'll even throw in a free seven-day trial to kick the tires. Go to IlliniGuys.com, click the register button, and get immediate access to dozens of stories each month, message forums, free giveaways, and more. IlliniGuys.com. And as promised, this is Mike Kegley. I'm here with Tony Altimore. He is a strategist who helps corporations, uh, nonprofits, everybody figure out how to do business better. He is one of the best follows. If you are interested in sports. You're too kind. Yeah, I'm just telling you, though, this is the honest to God truth. If you are interested in sports, particularly college sports, go to go to at TJ Altimore. A-L-T-I-M-O-R-E. It's it's exactly like it sounds. But if you go to his his Twitter, he does, he has a gift. He does the best, basically I call them PowerPoint slides. That's what they that, are. That you can possibly do to illustrate different facts about the business of college sports. And I will tell you, I just got a friend who I who I turned on to Tony's Twitter page. And now this guy is sending me stuff every 20 minutes going, did you see this slide? Did you see this slide? And I'm like, I've been following this man for three years. I've seen the slides. They're fantastic. So if you, if you want to actually go and, and, and you, you talk about getting lost in a Twitter page, you can't get any trouble from your wife or, or, or any friends because it's, it's all PG, but you will get everything you want on like, you know, the number of scholarships, the number of championships by college, the, by conference champion, you can do literally every way you can divide up the business and what people do in terms of success on the field. Tony has figured out a slide and they're really easy. I'm trying to explain these, but if you look at the slide, you instantly know what it is. You look for your school or your, who you root for. And then you go, Oh, that's great. Or you go, Oh, Mm, that's too bad. So it, it, it's really good that way. So before we get people, started, people people love it when their school looks good and their rival looks bad. Exactly, and and I've and I've had a couple where my school didn't look good. I've had a couple where my school look look great. So you know that's that's it's all in the draw, you know. But you're just taking the numbers and putting them out there in a very consumable fashion. And we're in a world where it's hard to get information that's easy to understand. I'm telling you, if I was running a political campaign. I would have Tony 
doing my slides for my social media so that people oh, thank you. understand what I was trying to say. But I'm, there, I'm from a, there, I'm, ava I'm available for hire, guys. Just DM me anytime. <laughs> so, it, and just remember us little people when you're when you're making all those multi millions. So let's let's I talk wish. a little let's talk a little bit about this. What we're going to talk about today, you've you've heard a couple interviews. And you've had a chance to hear Tony, you've had a chance to hear Steve talk a little bit about stuff. We're going to go and kind of do kind of a recap and 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 go into a little bit more, um, a little bit more detail. But when we talk about the NCAA, you know, right now people are used to the NCAA being a bunch of losers. You know, that, that, that Justice Kavanaugh said the, you know, the NCAA business model is flatly illegal in almost any other industry. It is. And, and and people they're like you know the NCAA they just lose things but but we're going to go through some of the cases that they're they're in right now and Tony will talk about them give you a thumbnail and then we'll talk about maybe the implications of what could happen you know if things go poorly for the NCAA but really kind of a lot of the, the a lot of this strategy that they've had used to work and maybe it, it was like working with people like the Jeremy Bloom case. And then then the, the the plaintiffs got a little different in how they dealt with things. So why don't you talk about Jeremy Bloom as that was kind of maybe, I don't know if it was the, the last, end of, like their last high watermark. Yeah, the end of an era, maybe. Of, yeah. So the NCAA has always been an antitrust violating cartel. Yep. Like we, the University of Pennsylvania went after them in 1951 for this. And then actually drop the lawsuit. Part of the condition for forming the Ivy League officially was to drop the lawsuits. Again, since 1951, they have known that they are an illegal cartel wow. uh, operating in violation of the Sherman Antitrust Act. But the last, and they, that's why they lost that famous Oklahoma Regents decision. If you fight them all the way to victory, uh, you will win because they are in they are operating against the Sherman Antitrust Act. But their strategy was making it as painful, as long, and as expensive as possible. That you know, appealing anything to the Supreme. Like when you hear the, there are the only two people I think can think of that that like consider the Supreme Court like a normal thing you'd you'd appeal to are the NCAA and Donald Trump. Like you don't just appeal to the Supreme Court, but they will find it. They will fight away. They will pump any amount of money. And what they're doing in that process is making you pump any every amount of money into it the other thing that they used to do which they can't get away with they just now can't get away with anymore was to penalize the institutions who weren't going along with it yep so for example they told penn you can't be in any championships if you're fighting us in court and with jeremy bloom jeremy if you guys don't remember jeremy bloom he actually is just an awesome guy he's like an entrepreneur now he's super successful uh, he was one of the best wide receivers, uh, punt returners for Colorado. And I think he played for the Eagles. Um, also just an amazing guy. But he was a Tommy Hilfiger model and a like world-class, world champion, uh, Olympics mogul skier. Like when moguls skiing was really on the breakout. Yep. yep. So Jeremy Bloom, in the era of like true NIL, I mean, Jeremy Bloom's, you know, shirtless picture is on sunset boulevard in la as a tommy hilfiger model and he's in the olympics like he's def the definition of not the pay for play that nil that we think of but but actual marketing money yep and the ncaa told him no you can't do that and play college football and he was like well I, that's ridiculous 
So what happened was they basically told Colorado, look, if Jeremy Bloom keeps trying to be a Tommy Hilfiger model and get paid and take a skiing, again, he's a professional ski. He is a professional skier taking professional skiing money. Then we're, we're not going to let him play. And Colorado, you're going to forfeit all your games. You put him in and get a little more complex than that. There's I'm sure angry lawyers typing in the chat, but it's a little more complex, but that's basically what. It yep. So he gave up, right? Cause he, He's getting older. He's not going to like fight them for five years in court for the right to play, you know, a game four years ago that he wasn't in. Right. So, and there's no money. So, you know, that was their strategy. So that was the last time that they really got it. Well, the O'Bannon case, which was about the video game yes. licensing, you know, your picture and the licensing, they finally fought that all the way to beating the NCAA until they couldn't get now, Again, that took years. Yep. That cost a fortune. The, I mean, you guys, you got to have millions of dollars to pay the legal bills to fight that. I mean, again, the NCAA is putting Wall Street firms against you. You got to, you got to put Wall Street firms and plaintiffs' attorneys back at them. And so Ed O'Bannon was the first one to really beat them, and he beat them in in the Ninth Circuit, which is California. Um, beat him on a, a Judge Wilkin. She was a law professor at Cal. She's a Cal and Stanford grad. And she just kind of spanked the NCAA. But she didn't destroy them financially. Like they were, it was kind of the warning to the NCAA, like you have to get yourself together. And they responded by doing, as always, nothing. nothing. You know, the funny thing is, is Ed O'Bannon, my kids are, my sons are still, they harbor grudges that the EA Sports College football game kind of shut down because of the image issues. And they, they, they will always, they're happy for that Ed read things up for the kid for the players but they're still bitter about that game being gone yeah so and, it, and that's all because they didn't figure it out now right. you know now there are some complexities to like how you figure it out right because they don't the kids don't yet i say yet because i think it's gonna happen soon don't yet have a union they don't yet sort of have these some of the mechanics in place but again you could have figured it out and if they had figured it out we wouldn't be where we are today Yep. Because by the way, one of the things that courts are not very nice to, again, you know, our litigious former presidencies, it, courts are not very nice to people who just keep doing the same thing over and over. Right. Once right. once it's declared illegal. And and the NCAA is very good at doing things over and over. So so you have that O'Bannon decision that kind of opens the door for 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 compensation for players, you know, and and that they they have some sort of right towards the revenue that's out there. Now we have a multitude of cases that are, that are out there. We, we look at what's going on at Dartmouth. We have the Tennessee and Virginia um, AGs, you know, talking about how, you know, they should be able to, you know, the boosters should be able to pay players. And we now have um, the Brown case about, you know, why shouldn't the, the, you know, the, the Ivy league have scholarships. So can you give us just a real brief thumbnail of those three cases? And just to let people know, you know, these, there's a lot to keep, keep track of here, which is probably why change is going so fast. And yet why change may seem slow because you have to know the legal environment before you make a lot of changes. Well, one of the first things is actually if we step back to the Alston case, which was the the recent Supreme Court case, yep. which the NCAA lost 
nine to zero. So they barely so, lost it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, right now, there's some very divisive stuff from before the Supreme Court, right? Think about how they fight like cats and dogs. With yes. No, they were unified nine zero in crushing the NZA's argument, just as bogus. And 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 uh, Justice Kavanaugh, you know, no paragon of workers' rights. Justice Kavanaugh wrote that the NCA's behavior was so egregious that the court was only limited to like destroying them in just the narrow confines of this case, but that the court would welcome any other cases because <laughs> they should be demolished on all counts for their continued egregious antitrust behavior. Now, and, and by the way, there's no, first of all, again, no doubt that they're an antitrust. They're literally going to Congress begging for antitrust exemptions because they violate the antitrust law. So like, again, there's no question that they are acting illegally in the United States to restrict. Again, you don't tell doctors like, okay, well, you have to perform surgeries for free because you're a medical student athlete. Haha. You know, you, you can't yeah, do exactly. that. Exactly. You can't tell one hospital, the like, hospitals, they can't, unless, unless you've collectively bargained. So, Again, they're losing, and because of that case and because of how they're losing, now there's no tolerance for it. The courts are saying, like, okay, you want to fight this for years? Fine, but you know what? We're going to put an injunction in that destroys you today. Good luck for the next few years. And that's what they did, what, seven attorneys general, I think, went after them about transfer restrictions. And by the way, when we think about the NSA, remember, they are not like a monolith evil thing. They're run by the schools. So it's the schools who are continuing to want this illegal behavior done. Yep. And on the other hand, then, but here's the thing is remember the schools, let's think about the transfer case. The schools want to have, they want to stop people from transferring out of their school, but they want to make sure that if you want to come to their school, you can come tomorrow. Bingo. <laughs> and that just, I mean, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. Like that. Is some of the, is some of the issues that the NCAA runs into is some of it because they maybe aren't disciplined enough. Let me give you an example. You know, like for instance, if if they said everybody gets one transfer immediately, no questions asked, and then any other transfer, you have to wait a year. If they did that and then they never granted an exception, would they at least have a chance of of being a little a little bit better chance in court because it seems Maybe. like they always give exceptions so why if you're if you're a student athlete why would you not take them to court because they always give exceptions they'd have a better argument but it's still not good okay because okay. again remember you can't tell a doctor you can only change hospitals once and then you're stuck there or else you can't sit out so you have to sit out surgeries for a year right unless right. that doctor has agreed to that for some reason so so that's where the issue of collective bargaining comes in, in that all of these things are fixable. But you have to let the you have, the athletes have to be able to, to bargain. Like, okay, you know what? If you give us a certain percentage of revenue, yeah, we'll agree. We can only transfer, you know, between May and April and only once without sitting out a year. That's You can negotiate all of that into the contract. Again, that's what pro sports do. Right. But it's it's negotiated it's not just decided. Right. And right. that's the difference here is that the NCA is just, and again, the NCA, we don't, it's not the, it's not the, you know, monolith NCA. It's 
the schools are deciding this and then suing themselves. And the Tennessee one is interesting, particularly because they're they're arguing that which I actually very much agree with. One of the issues I have, and this is a huge, huge issue I have, because, again, maybe it's because, like, both of my schools are like control freaks about everything they do. But um, the idea of like these sort of not affiliated collectives that are maybe doing this stuff, running out of money, maybe not right. The schools need to control the money. So what they're saying is we're getting rid of the rules about tying, you know, NIL, pay for play. And again, when we say pay for play, it's really pay for work. Right. Right. Yeah. They're, they're doing the work. It's not, not pay for play sounds bad. Pay for work. Right. Um, right. So, you know, the, the issue is they're saying we, we want to be able to have the schools directly pay. Uh, and you shouldn't NCA be able to make any rules about this. Now, this is a very vested self-interest case, right? Because you think about like, essentially like Tennessee is like somebody who's like on probation for robbery. And then they just got caught like drunk driving. And now yeah. they're like, oh, we need to remove those rules. Yeah. yeah. Because they're on probation. So because they're on and now it's almost quaint, right? They're on probation for Jeremy Pruitt giving like McDonald's bags of cash to somebody. And now we're talking about millions. Um, but they are on probation. So if Tennessee is caught violating their probation, they're gonna get they get slammed. They don't want to do that. So instead they're gonna they're gonna burn the whole place down. Yeah. And I mean it's 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 probably right. It's legally right, it's probably morally right, but you know, it is, it is, it, we just have to remember they are not paragons of virtue here. So There's basically, they're doing. basically what this is, is you're cheering for the heel in WWE terms. Yeah, you know, the, exactly. the bad wrestler is getting all the, all the, all the, all the cheers right now. Yeah, I, uh, exactly. And it, I did it, and it's, it's pretty funny, but I mean, the school knows what it's doing. And I'll tell you the president or the chancellor, I'm sorry, not the president, the chancellor of Tennessee, Donde Plowman is awesome. She's really cool. And she's done a great job. She cleaned up that athletic department and rebuilt that athletic department. And part of the issue is, you know, what's a guideline? What's a rule? They were constantly changing it. Like they had no good definition. And then they came at Tennessee to argue about Nico Amalavia. I think it was the quarterback's name. Um, oh, you broke these rules. And Tennessee was like, we're not having it because we're on probation. So we're not having it. We're going to nuke you. And that's what they did. Yeah. And they took a different stance. Like for instance, you know, we were very close to Illinois and you've got a, a an attorney for athletic director, you know, and, and they're, they're trying to play the NIL game as if the NCAA was actually running it and trying to like, we're not going to break the rules because we don't know exactly what they are. So if we try to play it crazily above board. That's what USC was doing. Yeah. USC was all like USC tried because USC is deeply scarred from the Reggie Bush mess, which by the way, the school didn't do. Some people don't know that. Um, the school had nothing to do with the Reggie Bush thing. It was all an NFL shady agent, like literally no school involvement. And so they are so gun shy at USC that it's impeding their ability to compete with Oregon, for example, who will just flat out pay you. Right. Well, and, and so, look, and there's some, and there are some schools that have that in their history. You know, Illinois is still dealing with self-reporting in 1967 for like four dollar pizzas, and got nuked from orbit by the NCAA, and then you know get in trouble in the late 80s 
for a spliced tape by Bruce Pearl and and the in and the NCAA actually came out and said we have no proof of the allegations, but the number of allegations makes us invoke lack of institutional control. How's can you imagine doing that today? Well, they did it to USC. They did that's what they did to USC, despite the fact that USC didn't do any of the things that it was accused of. Like, yeah, yeah. They weren't on the school. In fact, they uh one of the USC coaches who was placed on show cause got like a seven million dollar settlement from them. And they had to fire their entire enforcement staff because of their shoddy fake investigation. Yet Reggie Bush still doesn't have his eyes in back. Well, and and you go back to you know you go back to the difference between how Oklahoma State and Kansas handled that FBI thing. O- Oklahoma State had a couple of people get in serious trouble. Kansas just litigated, and now they're everybody's okay. And you know it, it goes it goes back to your original point. If you if you push it to the limit you're probably going to win. Yeah. You, they, I mean, they, they, they have trouble winning because again, they, they break the law. So, so we've got the, you, you talked a little bit about you, the UT or excuse me, Tennessee and Virginia case. Now the one that, that I thought was interesting, Dartmouth had some implications as well. Yeah. So Dartmouth is a big one, maybe, but USC is going to be a bigger one for that. Okay. Uh, so Dartmouth was just just had the National Labor Relations Board, a regional director, uh, and Steve Berkowitz is the master of this. I know he broke it down for your audience like way better than I can, uh, but declared that Dartmouth men's basketball athletes have the right to unionize. And what's interesting about that is, and, and by the way, because they're, they're employees, so they have the right to unionize. This was very much sponsored by SEIU, the union, who is, you can like them or not, but they're very good at what they do. Um, you know, this has happened in Northwestern before, and then it got kind of overturned procedurally. Uh, the same thing is going on at USC right now. Uh, but the difference is the one at USC involves way more money and is jointly against USC, the conference and the NCAA arguing that they are all joint employers based on the, the model of this. So if the USC one goes through, it will be more more impactful because it will be a declaration that all athletes are are really employees regardless right. of whether it's a public school or a private school or a religious school or whatever because it's the conferences in the ncaa right um you know one of the big things this is confusing to a lot of people uh if you've ever guys have ever dealt with hr you know there's like rules about like what's a contractor what's an employee yes exactly my clients on that where it's like you don't get to call me at 11 p.m i don't work for you right um but the uh, the real issue here is about control. And and again, the, this is not like an opinion. It's not like what Tony thinks. It's like what the law says. You know, if somebody tells you what time you have to be at something every minute of your day and what time you can eat and where you can eat and what you have to eat and what you have to wear and what you can't wear and where you have to sleep and what time you have to go to bed and they check your lights. out, That's a degree of control that means you're an employee or someone's child, but mostly an employee. And so, yeah, if, if you're going to do all that, they're an employee. And so people are like, yeah, the Dartmouth men, they don't make a dime. They play in like a high school gym, essentially. Yep. yep. Um, but they can every aspect of their day is controlled. That makes them an employee. And it's hard to, hard to argue that when, if anybody who knows a college well, athlete, go through. yeah, this is, it's not fun time. It no. may have been, it may have been back in the day, but th- this is, this is hard work. And, it, and, and now that we, you know, when you have the transfer portal, 
it, it, you, you're also very expendable because if, if, if a coach can bring in a guy who can help him win and he happens to play your position and you've been there for three years and he's better than you, oops. Well, and one of the other issues that it's a real interesting question is that remember there's, there are two ways to solve this. One is you pay the players like employees Yep. or two, you stop treating them like employees, which is, I think going to be a real interesting debate, especially for sports out for the non-revenue sports. Like, is there a reason that you're treating your lacrosse team? Like they're the, you know, German national team getting ready for the world cup when you are, you know, I don't know, Wagner college lacrosse. Yeah. I don't know about why I'm just making that up. Sorry, I know. I, 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 don't, I, I, hate, don't hate me, Wagner. I'm, there's, I'm and, and look, the same can be Wagner. said. The same can be said for the regimented like AAU basketball, you know, yeah. tournaments when you have these kids, let's say in third grade, and they're all running around trying to run this offense and that. And you're like, okay, seriously, it's it's what are we doing? Yeah, yeah. exactly. And that's and there's some so there's some real questions about like you can pay them like employees or stop treating them like employees. You can pick which one. And the Division three schools do a pretty good job of that. Yep. I mean, and I'll give you another example. Uh, and this is, I'm, so I'm actually working on a research thing right now. We're look, One of the things we're looking at is lacrosse because club lacrosse is competitive with NCAA varsity lacrosse. There's club lacrosse teams, you know, like South Carolina's club lacrosse team beats varsity lacrosse team. So, you know, might we see more of these, I call it varsity light uh, clubs. I mean, the Ivy League schools, for example, they pay for the stuff for their clubs. You know, the funny funny thing is my dad, you know, he's retired now. He's 80 years old. uh Uh-huh. But he he has been saying to me since the mid-80s that they should be clubs with, with maybe some affiliation to the college, but not, but he goes, why would you expect somebody to to get a degree? So in other words, his thought was you could be a club and you could, you could go to school if you wanted to, but it would be a club affiliation. So you didn't have to. And he thought that would be much less hypocritical. Well, you know, there's, there is some interesting stuff, but one of the things that I think that I really think is a huge differentiator uh, and people get mad at me for saying this, they disagree. It's fine. But I believe, particularly for when we think about the power conference schools, I put a thing up the other day about flagship schools. Like, like the thing about Illinois, the thing about Indiana, the thing about Michigan, like they are the flagship schools of the state and they embody the sense of place of the state. You know, you're from Michigan, you're a man of Michigan, go blue, you know, go blue, whatever, say Illinois, Indiana, wherever. And so, you know, the tie to the institution you know, is that still there if you're creating a, a loosely affiliated USFL team? And I don't know, maybe, I mean, there's some people who might say, yes, yeah. there's, there's probably a lot of really smart people on Madison Avenue that are trying to figure that out. Yeah, well, there's an opportunity to make money. And this model, this model, I can see why the, the this model is going to break apart and then what's going to be there. And now you also mentioned one that I was not as familiar with. We probably should touch on a little bit. The Brown case. Yeah. So the Brown case is another interesting one. That is against the Ivy League, arguing that the fact that the Ivy League presidents have colluded, which Mm -hmm. they did in 1935, 19, I forget the years. There's like six of them of the Ivy group agreements um, between the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. And then they, did it again, I think in the 70s or whatever. 
Uh, remember, the Ivy League itself was formed in, what, like 1954. Uh, but it was all like these informal agreements as they started to say, oh, we don't want to do this, we, that they have colluded to prevent the schools from offering scholarships. Yep. And that is antitrust. Now, the funny thing is, you know, you know how they're talking about like they're an antitrust exemption? So this says something about the way Congress works. Buried in some bill forever ago, but it expired last year. The Ivy League had an antitrust exemption. <laughs> well, Nobody else amazing. did. Just them. <laughs> Thanks, Congress. You know what the number one, who the number one alumnus school of congressmen and senators is? Harvard. Yeah. So shock and all. Yeah, exactly. So the Ivy League had one, but it just recently expired. So there's some question about, you know, should they, could they? Now, of course, one of the issues, one of their arguments is they're all like, we don't want to. You know, there's no, there's nobody in the league that says they want, it's not like Tennessee, you know, they, they, where somebody wants to. So there's some debate there. Um, but I guess we'll see what happens. It's an interesting one. And But the wild thing about it to me, uh, if any of you guys are lawyers, like there are more lawyers in this than like any Wall Street financial battle ever from like, I mean, it's, Cro I think it's like Cravath and Sullivan and like everybody but Wachtell, like all of the white shoe law firms are in this one for those eight schools. Wow. So it, yeah. it, it is, it's, it's basically a total, it's interesting. It's a total. Um, so if you get this, the NCAA is getting hit on, on multiple fronts. Every side. And if, and if let's just make the assumption based on Brett Kavanaugh's statement, that if, if people have the money, the patience and the wherewithal, to take it to the end, you're going to they, win. They're going to win. So, well, and that's why the, the house case, which is the big money one right now, right? That's the one that says, you know, essentially as of, and I don't, again, lawyers angrily typing the details, please, by all means, I'm simplifying it. Yeah. Like as of what, 2016, whatever the, the year is of this class action lawsuit. Yeah. You know, Hey, NCA, you illegally prevented us from earning off ourselves. Yep. So, pay up the difference and they were just given class action status again by the same judge who did the O'Bannon case and by the and she is you know when I say same judge this isn't home cooking she's the senior judge of the ninth circuit she is as elite a judge as it comes like this is legit but she gave them again the case is bad so they gave him class action status which means if they don't settle it I think they'll settle it this is why the SEC and the Big Ten are doing this thing they don't settle it. They can have be liable for like $4 billion. That's like $70 million per school. Right. That's, you know, Wazoo doesn't have $70 million to write a check for. So they're going to have to settle that. Well, they've got all that money from the Pac-12. They just didn't want to spend it that way. So they say, yeah. They, so, that is another, again, but you know, th that's an interesting case too, because when we look at the legal case of that, like, that was a home cooking judge. And then the state, the state Supreme Court was like, hey, we're not touching this <laughs> pile of excrement. Uh, but that was like some serious judicial home cooking. Like I read yeah. the, I mean, that that made me, that was like, you know, I don't know, Rudy Giuliani beating the guys from suits. Yep. Yep. No, no, I, that's, that's, <laughs> that's interesting. So, so now we've got a thing where we're basically, you know, the NCAA is, is you can maybe think of it as, as General Custer 
and you you've got the 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 Sioux are all these lawsuits that are Sioux, you know, the Sioux Indians, not the Sioux. Wait, literally. Yes, exactly. I like so I like the pun. Yeah, they're, they're I, you know I've been waiting to use that my entire life. I like life. it. I like, it's a but, good one. But anyway, you you've got these guys, you know, the 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 imminent doom is coming. Now, folks who've been, you know, close to the to the Big 10 you know, or close to different athletic directors, you know, at University of Illinois, Josh Whitman has talked extensively about, you know, the situation that the NCAA has kind of got themselves in and you have to be willing to, he's used a lot, the, you know, the European soccer model, um, you know, that different conferences might have different rules. You've got division two, division three, you've got division one, is there a chance that the landscape gets totally blown up where, where maybe just certain sports, they're athletes and then other sports, they get treated a little differently uh, or is it by division or is everybody, cause I'd hate to see, All good you know, yeah. Cause I'd hate to see one of the small colleges. I, I'd hate to see small colleges across this country. Stop, stop doing sports because they can't afford to pay everybody. Well, there's a lot of issues. One of them, too, is that the basketball tournament, and you guys, Illinois, are big basketball fans. Um, yeah. The basketball tournament pays for the whole NCAA exactly. at all levels and all of their tournament. I mean, the, 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 it's, it's very much a noblesse oblige where, you know, the, the, the glory of the Division I schools has always paid for everyone else. Exactly. And, and one of the questions is going to be like, is that going to be sustainable? Like, are we going to change? So there's a lots of questions um, around the whole model. You know, I just think that at the end of the day, I don't think that, I mean, I don't, if they can avoid it, I don't think the big 10 and the sec want to run the national lacrosse tournament. Right. If they can avoid it. So I, I could, I personally believe that they will find a way, whether it's to get more control for themselves, whether it, again, they're, I don't think they're trying to kill the whole everything. Right. Um, I, I think that they are, that they, they, they just, they have to solve the problems. You know, the, all the lawsuits, all the constant illegal behavior that doesn't stop, which again is, is from themselves. So like, let's, let's not feel like they're victims. Like they, but they're saying they have stood up for the first time to say, we are done with playing games. It's time for the grownups to figure an answer. And an answer that works for these, uh, you know, 34, 40, however many there are, you know, day-to-day -day schools. Um, and what's interesting to me is that they are doing it as the two of them. And they have not brought in the other two. Uh, and I'll tell you the one, the, the folks in Dallas, like they do not like to be left out of things. So I'm curious as to what kind of like emotional meltdowns are going on in that building. Well, as as a cowboy fan, we've been left out of Super Bowls for the last twenty seven years or whatever. Down at wherever I don't know where Big Twelve headquarters is. Yeah, it's or actually just whatever. yeah, it's moving from it's moving to Las Colinas soon here. Oh, so. is it? Okay. Yep, yep. So they're they're and they have to be worried at the same time. You know, you you wonder. You go back to the interesting thing is the architect of all this. I give credit, maybe too much, to Jim Delaney. Jim Delaney. He's because 100% the architect of this. He put together the Big Ten Network, and he was pretty open about it. You know, it sounded like he was – he he's actually made it sound like you could get a league of the top, the top teams. And I think he 
kind of made it sound like it could be anywhere from 60 to 80 teams. And they could do a football tournament. And what I thought was the most ominous is one time I think he even mentioned you could do a basketball tournament and you could think about cutting from 300 and however many cuts of that tournament go out and you cut that down to 80, even if you lose a round or, or not, you end up in a much better place from a financial standpoint. And of course, he was thinking if there was three or four conferences, each one would have their own network. And then you wouldn't even have to pay CBS anymore because each network, if your team was in the game, you know, the home, the higher ranked team would be the the net network that is broadcast on. You divide all the money up amongst the 80 teams and bada boom, bada bing. You don't pay that because if CBS can afford to write a check for a billion dollars to have the tournament, how much money are they making? They make it. Exactly. Well, and that's where, you know, as much as we malign Larry Scott and the Pac-12 network, the people who set it up, not the people who, like, ran into the ground, but the people who set it up were pretty brilliant because they said, we want to own the whole thing. And then we want to be able to sell it if we want for a fortune. Yes. Um, and again, they screwed up the distribution. They, and, and I believe more than anything that what really killed that network was you know, 10 years of bad teams. No, no one wanted to see bad Cal play bad UCLA. Right. So it was on the Pac-12 network. And if if they had had good teams, I think that, yeah, then DirecTV has to find a way to put it on. If they, they have good teams and powerful ranked teams, then Comcast has to put it on on the East Coast. But all their like best- they do the Big Ten network. But all their best teams were on, you know, primetime or or earlier. Well, well the problem then, is most most of their best teams spent that decade stinking. Yeah, that too, that didn't help. Yeah, that that's what I think killed it. You know, I mean, yeah. if they if you think about how good the Pac-12 was this year, and you imagine they'd been that good for the last decade, we'd all have the Pac-12 network today. So if if Pete Carroll had stuck around for one more decade, I, I, I shouldn't say that to break you. my heart. Oh, come on. <laughs> No, but no, then, no, trust me. I'm a Lion fan. We talk about Bill Self leaving yeah. for Kansas all the time. So it's okay. Well, but, but if, if Pete Carroll stayed, then we wouldn't have the phrase tarmac as a verb, thanks to Lane. <laughs> yeah, that's a good that's a good point. Um so we My brother I, was at that game, by the way. Really? At oh, Sun Devil Stadium. Yeah. Yeah. Where the, where the president flew back to prepare to fire Lane Kiffin on the tarmac. Yeah. 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 And my and my favorite is the school recently came out and they said that's nonsense. That was fake. It was not on the tarmac. It was in a little office off the FBO. I was like, guys, that's not better. Yeah, I was gonna say that. Yeah, that's not the, better. Yeah, that's that's where you've got somebody who's probably too smart for their own good. Yeah. It's like guys, <laughs> yeah. guys, guys, a little office off the runway is not that much different. <laughs> well, so so with this, so now so now you think. We, we've got the other thing that's going on. So you've got you got the NCAA in trouble. You've got the conferences, at least the two big ones, trying to make sure that 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 the people with the most to gain actually make make the decisions, and and the people who and also there's probably a lack of trust. If you're a Big Ten athletic director and you watch the decisions the NCAA has made the last twenty years, and then you look at what the Big Ten has done by revolutionizing with their own network, et cetera, and now signing this massive contract that guarantees their teams to a huge, huge amount. 
you want to make the decision because you're like, hey, our decisions have been a lot better the last 20 years. SEC has to feel the same strength. Yeah. And now on top of it all, we find out that the 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 evil empires of ESPN and the SEC and Fox and the Big Ten are going to come together in a single streaming service, along with our people at TBS and TNT under the Warner Discovery thing. So in all this changing and everything that's going on, if you had a magic, if you had a magic ball, what do you think is going to happen? Because I heard, I heard a, uh, off the record, you know, uh, uh, some AD said that, you know, now with all these cases coming, come and do and all the issues, they thought that within a year, year and a half that you would, and again, it was just attributed to an anonymous athletic director. So who knows who said it? But they said in a year, year and a half, they thought that that the employee question would be resolved and things would move forward. Now that that's not a lot of detail there. I, you know, I, I think so. I mean, they're gonna they have to they have to fix it, right? They're they're not gonna have they can't keep this up forever. So they got to they've got to fix the employee thing. They're gonna have to pay them because it's part of the, gonna have to be part of the house settle house case settlement. So you know they're gonna have to sort it out. It's not a there's not a debate, really. Um, I think so. The, I, I figure that they will settle it out now. There, there'll probably be some machinations. I would think that the revenue sharing will come from the conference level, perhaps. Or maybe a pool of it will come from the conference level or something like that. You know, something that can be collectively bargained. The schools could probably augment to that would be my guess. Because remember, one of the other issues here is these athletic departments, donations is a big thing which by the way, help pay for all the Olympic sports. So like, you know, football players aren't going to get a piece of the donations. So, you know, you got to have the, or uh, I mean, they're not going to be able to like take up tax of the donations. Some of the donations will be to help compensate them. But uh, yeah, I, I think that you'll have some kind of element where the conferences are involved in the, in the, in the, in the payments, but they're they're, they're going to have to be employees. There's other things like, is it, are they, with a lot of these schools, like they're public. So are the, are they going to be in the public union? Are they going to get like, you know, CalPERS pension funds? You know, how are you going to solve all this? Um, you know, how's that, how's the medical, the healthcare going to work now? Yeah. Of course, one of the, one of the things about some of these schools, unlike some of the others is that they own giant healthcare systems, which makes healthcare way easier. Exactly. Uh, also cheaper. Right. Like when, when you own the hospital, it's cheaper. Others, you know, not they don't have it. But I, I think you're going to see a big separation between the haves and have nots and, and the rewards. Because, again, there's, you know, there's not money in Division three football. Yeah. And, and, and like I said, it's it's those distinctions are going to be incredible because you would. I mean, you really don't want to destroy an opportunity for a lot of people to participate, no. well, learn leadership skills. All that stuff. Well, here's the other thing. I don't know if you know this, but a lot of a lot of Division One programs, even not football, basketball, but Division One programs, are all about enrollment benefits. Yeah. So it's all about like we have a track team, not because we want to compete in track, but because if we recruit the kids for track, they'll come to school here and pay tuition, and that off that offsets the cost of the track team, you know, by a factor of 10. So yeah. the, the track teams are profitable. A lot, a lot of these sports, the, the Olympic sports actually are 
enrollment profit centers for the school. Yeah. And, and, and so it's, it, yeah, it's incredible. It, do you have any prediction? I mean, do you, I mean, uh, this is, I mean, you talk about this would be like trying to figure out, you know, how ice is going to crack on a lake. Yeah. It, it, you take a guess. Like, again, you know, I mean, I, I think that we will see a bifurcation of the revenue sports and the non-revenue sports of some kind, you know, some degree yep. that then lets us ratchet down the non-revenue sports. Now there's title nine implications then, by the way, Title IX, guys, is a really great law. It's about equity in all aspects of higher education. We we only hear about it in sports, and we only hear about it because football like puts a giant weight on the scale that makes it hard to make everything else equal. But if you find a way to pull pull that giant weight of football off the scale, then all of your Olympic sports will be in a way better spot. You won't have Title IX issues, right? Because like men's lacrosse and women's lacrosse doesn't have to be different. Uh, and I, I, I think they'll be in a stronger place, but it's going to be a little bit of a rocky road to get there. Yeah. Going to be exciting one. Hey, uh, Tony, thanks so much for coming along. To, thanks for to having me. Oh, I and I. Yeah. Yeah. To kind of explain this uh, again. And I'm going to tell you, TJ Altimore, go at TJ Altimore on X. I call it Twitter because I'm old. That is, if you're a sports fan. Uh, and you love college sports, you, you are going to get lost in different things because you're going to keep scrolling down. You go, oh, this is interesting. Where's my school at? Oh, this is interesting. Where's my conference at? Oh, and and next thing you know, it's going to be three hours later, and you're going to be like, man, I'm still doing this. Do, do so, you want to know what people told me their favorite one was? Go, I'd be cool. What is it? It was I I I pulled the football graduation rates, and to so I love Boise State. I love everything they're doing at Boise State. Like they're president's awesome their ad's awesome like the stuff they're doing is great um and i got a note from somebody who said the symbolism because boise state works really hard to make sure their football players graduate right and and they told me the symbolism of seeing the boise b right next to the brown b put him over the moon That's and i was cool. like oh wow i mean it's one silly, it's a silly little chart but like right it meant so much to people and that was really cool no, that, that is, that is, that is awesome. And again, I can't, you know, a lot of, at Alina guys and big sports radio, uh, Tony has helped us out tremendously comes on and explains some of these things. And this is uh, a benefit to have you on here. And we definitely would tell you go out to that, that uh, X page and you will get everything Thanks, that you want. Thank you very much, sir. We'll see and, you soon. Yep. And we'll right be on. right back. We'll be right back after this messages to wrap up the show. Make sure you subscribe to the full family of Illini Guys podcast, starting with our signature Eye on the Illini series, which discusses recent Illini events. Sturdy for 30 is where veteran Illini insider and analyst Brad Sturdy talks with experts and people in the know. And Ked's Recruiting Roundup, where IlliniGuys.com director of recruiting Kedrick Prince talks with players, parents, and coaches about the next wave of Illini student-athletes. Stay in the know with Illini Guys podcast. Find them wherever you download your your podcasts. And a huge thank you goes out to Steve Berkowitz for coming on to the Big Sports Radio and the Sports Spectaculars, along with Tony Altimore. And of course, Larry Smith and Brad Sturdy for hosting along with me. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and hopefully it gave you an opportunity to maybe get some insight into what could be coming in the future. You can stay tuned to Big Sports Radio and the Sports Spectacular as we will try to do our best to have on fantastic guests like this that can help kind of tell us what's going on and, and help us understand the implication for the future.
We will talk to you, of course, after the next Illini game. That would be Saturday against Michigan State. Until then, go Illini.